I'm Stacy. I'm Jenny. And this is Learning for Life, a homeschool podcast. We are two homeschoolers who use different methods, curriculum, and strategies to make it all work. Our goal is to help parents teach kids how to develop a lifelong love of learning. Welcome back to Learning for Life. In this episode, we are talking about the importance of living books with Anthony Cofield from Living Book Press. Anthony is the creator of Living Book Press, which is a publishing company all the way in Australia that is also affiliated with Ambleside Online, which, as you guys know, I am very much so into. And you will love this podcast episode if you're looking for tips and resources to get your kids loving literature through quality books. If you are new here, welcome. Jenny and I are your hosts, and we are going to discuss all things related to homeschooling and helping you instill a love of learning in your children. You can see all of our resources, including the show notes for this episode at kidslearningforlife.com. And just before we get started, I want to offer you this really great deal. So Anthony with Living Book Press was nice enough to offer our listeners 10% off their entire purchase through the end of September of 2021. And you can do this by using coupon code KL4L. Again, that's KL, the number four, L. And that excludes any previously discounted bundles that he's already created on the website. So go check it out. Click the link in the show notes. Okay, so a little bit about Anthony. He was born and raised in Australia. So we've never had an Australian friend before. So this is a first for us. He started the publishing company Living Book Press, which is an amazing resource for anyone homeschooling, but in particular people using the Charlotte Mason method and or Ambleside Online. He has been homeschooling his kids since the beginning of their education, Uh, so that's been about five years, and he has three boys, ages 8, 9, and 11, and we just had so much fun talking to him, and I'm excited for you to hear the audio, so let's roll the tape. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's, It's great to be here and talking to you both. Well, we are very excited to have you here, and we are excited to talk about living books with you. So the first question we have for you is, how would you define what a living book is? Well, I'm so glad you put how would I define, because I'm, my, my thoughts on what a living book is has been kind of evolving as I've been spending more time with them and using them more with my children. Um, so there's the traditional thing of a, of a living book is a book often written by one person who's passionate about the subject and um, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> For me, I think it, it gets a little bit more grey than that. One of my favourite living books that I, I've um, had a look through is The Story of Canada, which was written by three different people for their school curriculum, which is sort of going against what a lot of living book things would normally be. But the way it's done just makes the subject come so alive and made me so fascinated in a country that, I mean, I don't even have to know about so for me, a living book um, can be kind of that gray area and vary between people, but it makes the subject matter come absolutely alive and makes you think more about it and want to learn more about it in a well-told story type way. So that it just sticks so much more in your, in your mind. Now, I usually approach it from a curriculum point of view because I'm a homeschooling father. And so the other thing that a lot of people leave out of what is a living book is for me, it has to serve its purpose um, in the curriculum or whatever I'm having to teach my kids. Uh, just, if that makes sense, so that I can lie back and read a great book that my kids are going to love, but still be able to tick a few things off the curriculum or whatever I have to hit. 
Right. That that totally makes sense. And on the subject of the story of Canada, have you read Our Island Story? I have. I've, I've, I'm, I read it through as I, because I've printed a copy of that and my oldest son has made it almost to the very end as I've been doing school with him and I'm working through it yet again with my younger kids at the moment. I, I love it. I recommend it to anyone because it has just, I haven't read the story of Canada. That sounds really interesting. So that's now on my list. I literally just wrote it down as you were speaking. Um, but it sounds like it's probably kind of similar to our island story and the way that it makes history really um, accessible and interesting to kids. So that to me is like a, what a living book is. And that sounds like what you're kind of getting at. Absolutely. It just makes it, the story come alive. Um, so um, Island Story is great. Um, Marshall does a really good job with all of her books because she's got This Country of Ours with the American History and Our Empire Story as well, which goes into India and Canada and Australia and New Zealand. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I was, was going to say, is there um, one that covers yeah. your home of Australia? Yeah, so she touches on us in Our Empire Story. We've got, I think, 11 chapters in there and we were only founded just over 200 years ago so we don't have quite as much depth of history as america or england right yeah i i just love how she writes it's just it's so fun and so interesting and my kids love that book it's almost as if it's not even we're it's not even like we're learning it's like we're just doing a read aloud of a really great story but it's it's all real and there's so much as well you can look up after that you can look up hadrian's wall and see that i mean it's not so impressive looking now but knowing that it's you know so many thousand years old right uh, where they actually built it to try to keep the scots out or and all these other landmarks that are mentioned through there you can look up on the internet and still see today which is really fantastic exactly um so now that we've kind of talked about what living books are and what some examples of living books are do you can you think off the top of your head of any examples of books that might not actually be living books so that you often see debate online about what is and what isn't living right. book, and, and people will disagree on things um so there's some that are obviously not just the boring, just fact-filled textbooks. Um, my youngest son really wanted to do something learning about space and the stars and that kind of thing. And those sort of subjects aren't the easiest often to find a great living book because it is mostly facts, you know, how far away is Neptune and what is it made of? And it's, it's hard to really make that come alive. But the book that I, I had on hand, I started reading it and I was like, no, this is just textbook fact boringness. Um, so it was really not living at all, wasn't really making it come alive for anybody. Then they'll get to other books. Some people, I don't know if you're familiar with the Redwall series. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I adored Redwall growing up and still do. But some people consider them living books. I consider them brilliant books and absolutely love them. But for me, since they don't do that ticking of any box that I can really do in the curriculum, um, I don't consider them living so much. Um, right. They're just good as like a, a fun independent read or like a read aloud you can do for fun, but it's not necessarily something you could use to your homeschool's benefit. Right. That's it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I, I guess I didn't use this word, but I probably should because we're talking about living books. On the opposite side of that is twaddle. And Stacy and I, we both have young kids that are kind of pre-readers and or like getting into reading. And it's really hard at this age to find things that are not just straight up twaddle. So it's like, it's a big thing we're like constantly talking about right now is like, how do we find these easy reading books that aren't just like junk? So it's so hard. It's almost impossible. Uh, and that's just, you know, the, the hen pecked the seed. Like, they're just oh, awful. And then even any other books that you're trying to read that they can easily understand sometimes at that age can get 
really hard to find. Mm -hmm. And Um, I wanted to ask you about, because we were talking about some books that there are some like debates on, and this is just for the moment, we haven't like primed you for this question, but uh, what are your thoughts on Harry Potter as a living book or twaddle? Where do you stand on that? Oh, okay. (laughs) So many aspects to this one. I know. Um, Okay, (laughs) growing up in a conservative uh, Christian environment, Mm -hmm. there's sort of the one answer there of it was witchcraft and evil and should never be gone near. Um, Then I'm actually just finished book four, reading to the boys like two nights ago. So it's um, it's a very timely question. (laughs) Living book, I, I can't really see how I can tick off anything in the curriculum or come alive or anything like that but they are a lot of fun they my boys are absolutely loving reading them um there's some good lessons about you know friendship and teamwork but i think you can find that in pretty much any book that's decent out there not living but i'm really really enjoying them Right. They're, they're definitely quality literature and they, you know, they fall somewhere on the spectrum. I mean, some people are like diehard Harry Potter fans, like Stacy and I both, uh, that's like one of the first things we ever connected on back in home, uh, not homeschool. We were not homeschooled back in high school, um, before we were even sisters-in-law. And, um, so it's just something that we've always talked about. So we love the universe of Harry Potter and the wizarding world. Um, I agree with you. It's not like it's something that can be used for homeschool, but it's definitely, I, it's not twaddle. I think we can agree it's not twaddle. Oh, absolutely. And anything that makes the kids that excited about the story and reading and what's going on, I'm, I'm all for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the getting them excited because I actually, my boys, I read one and two to them and then I was going to stop um, – because again, my oldest is eight. And so if we just, you know, we could get all the books done in a year, but um, they were begging me, oh, can we please do the next one? They just love it so much. So we just started number three. And yeah, Uh something that just gets kids to want more is just really awesome. Well, I I bought them at a a thrift shop, just one or two, as I was just saw them, you know, I used to be able to fill a bag for $10 and it'd be sitting there like, I will read it one day. And then my middle son, um, is on the autism spectrum and if, if you've got any kids or no kids like that they'll be great sometimes but when they have a meltdown they'll just be sort of standing there in the corner screaming and, and you just can't get through to them and so I was trying to think of something that may work and I just picked up Harry Potter book one because it was on the edge of one of the bookcases and lay down on his floor and started reading in between screams so we know number 27 <laughs> privet drive is a and you know he'd be screaming every time in between and by the time I was sort of two pages in he was only screaming at the end of each paragraph and then he ended up coming and lying down next to me and we finished the chapter I'm like okay we've gotten somewhere here um he's he's really actually finally getting into a book and this book so yeah that's how we started yeah that story is so powerful and I mean the stories in all these living books are just so powerful and they're ones that just like I think people think they need to dumb things down for kids and that's something I'm so completely against because kids can understand these things like for like all these history books we just listed they're history books they're they can be used for homeschool they might sound on paper kind of boring but kids find them really compelling uh speaking of living books are can you think of any other uh, good examples that have worked in your homeschool school that are living books oh wow um do you have any subjects in particular you're thinking of, well or? anything i mean we've talked about history maybe i mean did you find anything good for science that was like a good science living book the secrets of the universe series by paul fleischer is just a, an amazing introduction to physics and some basic chemistry and that kind of thing 
um, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading those and learning more um, about stuff, even though I was sort of a science nerd at school. Um, when, you, when you learn at school, you're learning to answer the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and often it doesn't seek in nearly as much as a living book does. So that they're great for the younger ages. I mean, since most of the science is focused on nature study, there's a, a book that I really love um, called The Wonderland of Nature. And it was written by an Australian lady, but it's, it's transferable to, to all around the world. And this, um, the, the author's dead now, but I got to meet her daughter the other day, and she's just such a personification of that Charlotte Mason type of attitude, even though she's never heard of her, in that she had one, she has this massive old, you know, the old card filing things that mm-hmm. you used to be able to get. And she, I, I went to her place and she pulls one out and it's just full of different bones and the next one's full of different rocks and the next one's full of different seed pods and she's pulling them out and showing me all the different features wow. on them all. And just this love of nature study that she got from her mum who wrote this book. And for me, that really helped make a lot of nature come alive and also gave me the uh, encouragement that, yes, I can do this nature study thing with my kids because half of it is just going outside and showing them these things and letting them observe it and discussing it. And then I can tell them, answer any questions they may have later on. Exactly. I like that you just said she was kind of like a Charlotte Mason person without knowing anything about Charlotte Mason, because that's what I have encountered. Uh, You know, I found the Charlotte Mason method before I started homeschooling because I was kind of planning ahead. And I was like, wow, this is me. Like, this is the education I wish I had. And now that I know a lot about it, and I've, I've tried, you know, I've read Charlotte Mason's works, and I've studied the whole thing. And I, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it. Um, I go out in the world, you know, talk to other homeschoolers, and I feel like so many other homeschoolers have a vision for their homeschool that is directly in line with Charlotte Mason without even knowing what the Charlotte Mason method is, which I think is really interesting. Like even Stacy, who wouldn't necessarily consider herself a Charlotte Mason person, she, I mean, she's been doing nature study this whole time. She's been doing like the the lesson, like the kinds of lessons that Charlotte Mason would recommend for families. So I think that's really interesting because I think we all encounter people like that out in the wild, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I had no idea what Charlotte Mason was or anything before, you know, you really got into it. But once you were telling me about it, I'm like, oh, I like that. And I want to use that, especially, you know, with living books and everything. And I'm just like, yes, I want that. I want my kids to love books. I want them to, you know, have a purpose for books. And so, yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot more people are probably, you know, leaning towards the Charlotte Mason method and they don't even realize it. And I love now that there's there's a lot more almost acceptance of Charlotte Mason light, um, where you can take the bits that work for your family and your situation and the, the hand that you've been dealt in your kids and even yourself, and you can incorporate those to make your homeschool as good as it can be, but you don't necessarily have to follow every single little bit to the letter, which is becoming a bit more acceptable now, which I, I really like. Right. I love that too. So how did you personally start getting involved in like using the Charlotte Mason method in your homeschool? Okay. Um, my wife and I were leading the youth at church and we'd sort of go into things we wanted them to do. And we, I was trying to empower them to be able to think for themselves and to do things for themselves. And I'd often give them a specific thing and then it just wouldn't get done. And that's how I didn't know how to do it. And there was no initiative or desire to learn or desire to find things out. And I, and that was part of what made me want to start homeschooling in the first place. So I could encourage my kids to think rather than answering what the teacher's going to ask on the test. Um, when you've got 30 kids in a room, you can't encourage that sort of thinking and wrestling with ideas because it's just impractical. 
So once I, I knew I wanted to homeschool, I did a whole pile of those tests online of what's your homeschooling style. <laughs> and um, they kept coming up a combination of Charlotte Mason and unschooling um, with, with classical further below that, which I think is just the, the overlap with the Charlotte Mason type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went, okay, I need to look into this Charlotte Mason lady. Um, and so then I, I started looking and it was all about using lots of literature, which I, um, <clears throat> when, I when I moved down uh, where I am now, I, I had enough stuff for a, a family of four and I was 21. It was, it was pretty much all books. So I've, I've always loved books. And, and since my head injury, I've had a quite a lot of, um, of memory issues, but I found that when I was reading a good book, um, just having that emotional connection can help a lot of facts sink in and help you remember things a lot better. So I knew that I could use that with my kids. And then I also remembered almost all my great memories as a kid is lying down in front of the fire with my mum reading Lorna Doon on one cold winter day or my grandmother sitting reading to me with different books. So many of those wonderful warm memories involved books. And so I thought if I can teach my kids as well as creating those memories and have them remember it better, that's just uh, winning on every level. You and I are kindred spirits because I like that's why I gravitated towards Charlotte Mason because the best moments in my childhood centered around books as well. And I knew I remember like going to public school and being like, this is such a drag because now I cannot read, you know, and I feel like school should be the place where you go to do that. Obviously, there are lessons and all that, too, but I just there was just a big thing missing from public school and that was just like the time to just like entertain myself with a book yeah my, my mum being a missionary's kid used to do correspondence school and she used to tell me how she'd get up at five and she'd have all of her school finished for the day by you know seven thirty, eight o'clock when it was going to be hot and so she could just read or play with the animals or do whatever else the rest of the day and so being at a small school we had three grades in the one classroom and and so you don't get any time with the teacher anyway. So I used to beg mum to let me do correspondence or I'd never even heard of homeschooling, just that correspondence thing. And so I'd have so much time to read. I mean, I could have all my school finished in an hour. Please just let me stay home so I can read. Exactly. It's like, I know, it's like, why is school getting in the way of my reading? That's, that's not how it should that's be. Right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like for me, school gave me the opposite. Um, I probably would have liked to read but because there was so much reading that was required that they told you what you had to read and how long you had to read um it actually made me not like reading so I think that even stems into like my adulthood um you know being friends with Jenny she's telling me about all these books she reads and I'm like lucky to get like a book a year um (laughs) if I was to be honest I try to read as much as I can but yeah, school school made reading not fun for me, and so I definitely don't want that for my kids. And, and that's one of my things that I keep a lot of awareness of um, when it comes to the free reads and the like. I mean, I, I follow a loose Ambleside online, and they've got sort of 15 or so free reads that they suggest, and then the lady who's Australianized it has got uh, some more that she does. And at first I was trying to get my, my son to read all of them, um, but he's dyslexic, and reading has been a real struggle for him. And so we, we try to do some together, but we can't do all of them. And as I, when I was making him, he was starting to, to hate reading, even though he was only just getting the hang of it. And so I, I stepped back a bit, trying to make sure I didn't cause that. And I've been letting him read a bit more of what he wants to now, just because I want him to love reading. I don't want to create that barrier by forcing him to read what I think he should read. 
Exactly. It, yeah, it's just about trying to get them interested. Like, I'm sure as a kid, I read so much crap, so much twaddle, you know, and, you know, I still I'm an avid reader now and I'm loving this uh, Ambleside online book list and schedule because it's like I'm getting that education, too, because some of these books I've never read. Like I'm obsessed with Pilgrim's Progress right now, which is something I was never introduced to in my youth. And I love that. I love Bullfinch's Age of Fable, like all these books that are just so good. And um, I just, as an adult, I'm finally getting that kind of education. <laughs> uh, my oldest is absolutely loving all the mythology and oh, that yes. side of things. He's um, been screaming through all of the Recreate and Percy Jackson, etc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as, but he just, or Age of Fable and Dolores Greek Myths and yes. all of those he's just devouring. Yeah, I'm, um, this is not for kids, but I just read Mythos by Stephen Fry. Have you heard of that one, Anthony? I have heard of it, yeah. It's so good. That's what got me hooked on the mythology, the Greek mythology stuff. It's definitely not for kids because it goes into all the like the naughty things that all the gods and goddesses did. But um yes. <laughs> but it's it just the way it's told, it's very similar to Bullfinch's Age of Fable and all that. Uh, very just, you know, making it fun and accessible for a modern audience to understand. Uh, I just and love Stephen Fry is such a, a smart man as well. Oh, yeah. It, I'm going to read all of his books. I also got Heroes, which is the next one in the trilogy. And then there's Troy. So I have them all in print now. Um, I got them for my birthday from my mom. And I'm really excited <laughs> to read all of those. I'm I'm obsessed with his writing now. Oh, I'm, he's fantastic. Totally. And um, I'm glad you brought up Ambleside Online because I want to talk a little bit about Ambleside Online. Uh, so how did you did you just stumble across Ambleside Online when you were researching the Charlotte Mason method? And like what parts of Ambleside Online do you use? Yeah, I just stumbled on. I was searching for Charlotte Mason curriculums. Um, we were very struggling financially when we first first started down the path. And so the fact that it was free is was one huge tick for me. And that in, as an Australian lady had also Australianized it. So she'd substituted a few titles to, to fit the Australian curriculum and to put a bit more focus on some Australian literature. And so for me, getting your head around how to put together a living book curriculum is just so overwhelming, particularly when you're learning to start homeschooling and there's so many other things you're trying to get your head around. And I think even just being a parent, you're often quite overwhelmed with everything you're trying to do anyway. So having um, the book list there to sort of handhold me and there are artists that they recommend to the study and some, some music and that kind of thing, it gave me an easy jumping off point where I could begin. And so many of the books um, were available to download free online as well, which made it um, affordable. Right. I love that about it. I just got um, 50 Famous Stories Retold printed by a local print shop here in my area. And yep. I'm I Stacy's actually borrowing it from me right now. And she and her husband were kind of flipping through it yesterday. And you know, they don't really use Ambleside online, but they were like, Wow, this is kind of a this is kind of a cool book. And and the thing I love about that book is so much of our common vernacular things like um Damocles Sword and all these other things that are just thrown into conversation or movies or, or lyrics or whatever else that would otherwise go over your over kids' heads, they actually understand after reading um, through that 50 famous stories retold. And that's the same thing going back to the Greek myths. Like now that I read Mythos and I understand these Greek mythology um, references, I see them everywhere, like 
and oh, everything. It's, it's the foundation of our culture. It, right. it absolutely is referred to constantly, isn't it? I guess, I guess this is why I'm so passionate about this stuff is because like once you understand these things and it's not like something you learn overnight, it's like, you know, a whole life of reading these old books or these old myths or whatever. Um, once you understand these, it's like everything else becomes so much clearer. That's right. <laughs> so I also want to talk about Living Book Press because that is your company. It's your baby and it's amazing. And I kind of wanted to talk about how you got started doing that and how you're kind of affiliated with Ambleside Online. So being in Australia, we have a lot less uh, availability of books. Um, recently published things is fine, but we're a country of just over 20 million um, that's the size of pretty much the United States. You're slightly bigger, but yeah. So we, we just don't have the population to import um, a lot of great books, even things like My Side of the Mountain, which has won all these awards and is very easy to get over there. We can't buy a new here in Australia. So uh, without bringing it from, from overseas. And so I just wanted to try and help make it a bit easier for other parents. Um, I, I was so grateful for the people who'd written Ambleside Online and the lady um, Jeannie who'd Australianized it that I wanted to try and pay that forward to make it a bit easier for the other ones. Um, there was a couple of books that Jeannie recommended, uh, Australian ones, that were like $300 secondhand the one time that I saw one come up. Oh my so goodness. Prohibitively expensive. Um, and in this manic sort of period of mine, I went, why don't I just try to get the rights and reprint them? And so um, I had a lot of fun searching gravestones online and finding out who would have had the rights to, to these authors that were long dead <laughs> and um, got the rights and reprinted them. And along with uh, Richard Halliburton's Book of Marvels, <clears throat> which was public domain over here, and people really appreciated it. And then I needed, I felt, well, this is something I, I've really enjoyed doing. And so I did a few of the uh, year two books that I needed because I found that we worked so much better working from a physical book than digital. Um, Definitely. And it was, it was amazing the, the narrations I got were better. And I think partly because I was reading better out of a physical book. Um, I, I find that whenever narrations are suffering, more often than not, it's, it's me who's how I've been reading it to them. And so then I, I did those books and I didn't even release them uh, widely because I figured who would want to buy my little books. Um, I just sort of did it for Australia, but then I had a few people requesting I make it, them available. Uh, from overseas and so I did and then I needed more books so I made more books and then people asked for books and so I made them and that's sort of just continued. Um, people ask for something, I try to make it. Then Ambleside Online approached me a little while back and said well like would it be okay if we became an affiliate? I think Amazon had slashed all the affiliate rates and that kind of thing mm -hmm. and so um, I, I sort of got associated with them just by because I use them. And so I start making books uh, for their, because I would need them for their, that fit their curriculum. And then I did things like Little Duke, um, you'd read a, a half a chapter a week, but some chapters were sort of eight and a half, 9,000 words, others were 1,500 words. And so while it's easy if you're doing it yourself to break it up into half, it, there was a massive disparity between the long weeks and the short weeks. And so I thought, well, if I'm doing this, I can still keep the same amount of readings, but I can break the long chapters up into three and have the other chapters that are really short as just one. And it just sort of managed to even out the book for people using Ambleside Online, or I'll, I'll put little things in the margin if you're breaking up a chapter into multiple pieces. Just so it's, if I can save each parent half an hour of going through the bookmarking where to stop reading, 
then you know, over a couple of books, that's a couple of hours every year that they've got that they can just sit and have a cup of coffee and, and multiply that by a few hundred parents. That's, that's weeks of time I've managed to save people that they can do other more important things than just marking books. So I try to do those sorts of things as well. That is fascinating. And, you know, I, I think that's really good that you do that. So like just going back to how I mentioned that I'm, I've been reading through Pilgrim's Progress, it's one of these ones that it says for year two, read like 800 words per week or something. And I'm like, okay, but where do I start and stop? Like, how do I, I don't want to just like stop that's in the it. middle, you know? And so I think that's really, really good that you are mentioning that you do that because that is absolutely priceless, especially with an education that's just so read aloud based. Well, I hate reinventing the wheel. And so the first few times I was doing it, I'm like, so many other parents have done this exact same thing and, and, and I'm having to do it again. So that's why I try to anything that I have to do that simplifies things. Right. So I'm curious, when you say make the books, so what is what exactly is that process for you? Okay, so often I'll um, have to track down the rights holder um, and then negotiate with them uh, permission to reprint. And then we come to some sort of deal on royalties and that kind of thing. And then I will uh, get an original copy of the book. I'll scan it all and then um, edit all the pictures to clean them up or I'll add new pictures if, if that would be appropriate. And um, then I run OCR, which is optical character recognition. So the computer recognizes what it thinks is all the text. And then I go through and proofread it because I mean, especially the old print, it'll see a C as an E or and vice versa. and, and little paper blotches will come up as apostrophes or things like that. And so then I'll reformat it all and make sure it's in a nice, easy font to read because often the old fonts I find are, are difficult um, and enlarge the font sometimes or just try to get it. If it's a really big book like Our Island Story, um, you start to run into, it's difficult to read a really thick book and they become quite expensive. So you've got to make compromises mm -hmm. on a few different things. Um, and then I'll yeah get it all formatted and, and get a new cover and submit it to the printers to, to make it available for people to to purchase. That is so interesting to me. I, I, I didn't know exactly what your entire process was. And I was curious about the whole transcription process of taking it from these like PD, I, I'm assuming it's a PDF file and then changing it into like yeah, words, I'll, right? <laughs> that, that's right. I'll usually scan um, sometimes as a PDF, often as a TIFF file, just mm -hmm. so I can um, have it lossless and more easily extract images and that kind of thing in Photoshop. Fascinating. I Wow. I, I was not expecting to learn any of this today. I just kind of asked you that off the cuff and now I'm like, wow. It, it's been a, a steep learning curve over the years. Like my first books actually did on spec before I even got the rights because mm -hmm. I mean, I, I hate pressure and stress. And so I knew that if I had the rights, there'd be all the stress then to have it done. And I wasn't certain I could. So yeah, the first few I, I did before I had them just so that I, I knew that I could do it. So where do you find, regarding the rights, how do you find out like what's free domain and how do you find out like who to contact, all that stuff? Because um, just like for some context, I've been reading or listening to stories nonstop on LibriVox. And it's interesting yes. to me the things that are available on there because they're free domain and then like what's not available on there. So how does that work? Uh, okay, so we can thank Disney for it being so difficult. Um, they, <laughs> they're constantly lobbying to extend the length of of um, rights being held as Steamboat Willie gets closer to the public domain. Mm. Um, and so they're, they're fighting to keep their intellectual property and changing it. So most parts of the world now is uh, author's life plus 70 years. Um, the US is a lot more complex in that um, for many years they had to register 
uh, copyright. So it would last for 26 years and then in the 26th year if they sent in their renewal form and paid their fee then it would be extended for another 26 years. But then the law also changed in that period to become life plus 70 or 95 years after publication. And so America, it gets really difficult having to search through whether things were renewed with their copyright and then who would still have the rights, whether it's the publisher or if they've reverted back to the author. So it, it can get quite messy at times. That is, wow. Okay, my mind is blown. I was just curious about that because like things like G.K. Chesterton, which I'm, I'm super into his books right now, um, he's free domain, but like authors like C.S. Lewis are not, which he was writing kind of around the same time. So um, I'm guessing someone is in charge of C.S. Lewis's estate and keeps extending the rights, I guess. Is that how that would Lewis, work? Uh, I will now, when C.S. Lewis was writing, um, he, his books are getting very close to public domain. Um, I believe. My, my son, when we're reading Narnia, was asking, you know, when, when will you be able to make this book, Dad? Um, oh my so gosh, dream come like, true. Oh yeah, he's always bringing me books that he thinks I should, should um, produce. So C.S. Lewis died in 1963, so 70 years after that is what, 2033, so it's another 10 years till his stuff will be public domain. Whereas uh, Chesterton, I think, died a fair bit before that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was in the early 1900s. Um... But I don't know. Their stuff just seems so... So he was 1936. So his okay. stuff entered the public domain in most of the world in, um, yeah, 2006. Yeah, it's been a real gift to me because I've, like, discovered all his books and I can never find Chesterton books in the local bookstore or even at the library. My library doesn't even have Chesterton stuff. So I'm like, okay, how am I supposed to ex access this? So that's why LibriVox has been just really, really helpful to me <laughs> to, to be able to read these books that I cannot oh. find anywhere else. And doing all, all three kids' readings for me, LibriVox has been incredible as well. So my, my oldest listens to some of his literature stuff on LibriVox and he's constantly listening to other things. He's listening to all of the works of Edith Nesbitt several times. Mm -hmm. He's listened to Understood Betsy about 12 times, I think. And he just, he, all of um, Secret Garden and, and all these other Pollyannas, all of those he's listened to so many times. Yeah. Um, he just loves it. It's funny because, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier just noticing Charlotte Mason in everyday life, whether it's Charlotte supposed to be Charlotte Mason based or not. Um, and I, I was listening to The Secret Garden with my kids and I realized, oh, my gosh, this is a Charlotte Mason book. Like this is about applying the Charlotte Mason method to your life, like nature study, being outside, not being inside. Like, I don't know. It just the whole thing just felt like Charlotte Mason to me. Definitely. And I think Understood Betsy is another one that sort of did that for me, even though the author of that, I believe it was Montessori Method, she brought to America and popularized. Oh, how interesting. But, um, have you read Understood Betsy? I have, I have not. I hear it suggested all the time and I've never read it. It's, I think you'll love it. Um, it's, it's one that a lot of the, my, my son, I was not expecting him to enjoy being a boy, but he, all of three of them are, are really, really liking it. And um, there's, there's a scene where she failed. She's going to a little country school after her city one. And she's so confused because she's year two for, for spelling and year three for reading, but she's year seven for something else. Or <laughs> I might have the subjects wrong, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and she just can't gather what grade she's in. And they're like, well, it doesn't matter. You're just working to your abilities. <laughs> and then she, she doesn't do so well in an exam and she knows the answers, but she just gets stressed in the exam and she comes home and she's, she's talking to, to her uncle about it. And he says, well, what does it matter if you know the answer? It doesn't matter if you got it right in the exam or not. You still know it. See, Charlotte Mason. <laughs> That's what matters. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and it's just that, that different paradigm shift, I think, for what we're used to in being brought up in traditional schooling. Exactly. Well, um, I, I just want to ask you briefly, like, what 
because you're the first international guest we have had on this podcast. So I am just, I am dying to ask you, what is it like to homeschool in Australia? Wow. Um, I love it. <laughs> it's hard because you probably don't know like what context we're coming from. I mean, do you, I don't know if like it's, it's well known what it's like to homeschool in the United States, but like, is it permissible there? Like, is it hard to do? Are there standards? How does that work? So each state here um, has slightly different standards, but they all follow a national curriculum, which kind of makes things a little bit easier. Um, so uh, in New South Wales, which is where I am, we have to be registered to be homeschooling. Um, and so basically we also then have to hit the outcomes that they want um, for the kids in each year. Some people don't like that idea. I personally love it because I feel if I get hit by a bus, at least my kids aren't going to be completely lost having to go to school. Like they're going to have enough to deal with and they're going to have to go to school. At least they will have touched on the same subjects as their peers. Um, and you still have a huge amount of leeway with doing how you, how you do things. We have to submit a plan and basically we have someone come and read over it. And they're ticking boxes. They just want to know that we've looked at what we're meant to hit, that we have a plan for how we're going to hit it, and we have a plan for how we want to record what we're doing or whatever else. Um, so it doesn't take much. And then they'll give you sort of three, six or 12 months um, registration uh, for your first period. And then they'll come and they'll check what you've done and your next plan. And then you'll get um, up to two years to do that. So, um, so we've gotten two years every time since our first one. It's, and, and when it comes to the reporting, I mean, I just copy and paste those same outcomes and then say, we read this book. Um, we had a discussion about this because the outcomes are all rather vague. And so it's not too difficult to, um, to say how you did them all. And just by reading a couple of living books, um, like there's one I've done called John of the Sirius, which follows a 12-year-old boy aboard the first fleet, leaving England and coming to colonise Australia. And so just by reading that, we can tick off almost half of the history things along with the whole pile of geography and it, it you just get used to answering how they they want you to to fill out the reporting and it's all good that is so interesting how i mean just hearing how it's done somewhere else i mean there are probably some states here that have a more similar system to that um but you know in you know, the US, we have so many different states and they all kind of do their own thing. So it's just very interesting. Yeah, it's, 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 you get used to what your normal is as well. Um, and just you deal with it because you've got to. Right. Yeah. That's why I was like, well, how are you really going to explain what it's like compared to like what it's like here? Because yeah. to you, that's <laughs> normal, you know? Um, for us, it's probably pretty similar. We just don't have someone physically come and look, I guess, is the biggest mm. difference, um, at least in California. I Maybe there are other no. states that do. <laughs> now that we're kind of winding down, I would like to ask you, have you prepared a re recommendation of the week for our listeners? Oh, um, there was a wonderland of nature that I mentioned earlier um, that I, I adore. So that would probably be one. Um, for books that I'm personally enjoying, not necessarily just for, for the school reading. Oh. Age of Fable you mentioned. I mean, I, I confess that I do sometimes skip over the poetry bit at the end of each <laughs> chapter. Mm -hmm. um, just because I'm not familiar with, with that poetry and I, I'm loving the stories of the different characters. Right. But I, I think for me, just the seeing how much of even just company names and mottos and everything else that you start to make sense after being familiar with the different characters is fantastic. 
Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Like I was saying, I mean, all this stuff, you just start seeing it everywhere. It's insane, like how just ingrained in our in our culture, all of these old stories are. So it's living books are so powerful. <laughs> can you just tell everyone like where people can follow up with you? Like where can they can find you on the Internet? Yeah, I am. Um livingbookpress.com is my website uh, where I, I list all my books that I, I'm producing and then on Facebook I'm I think it's just facebook.com uh, slash livingbookpress and there'll be those links on my on my website and I think I'm living underscore book underscore press on Instagram I think they're they're my main ones I, I'm not a, a big social media user so I, that's our struggle too <laughs> well we appreciate you being with us Anthony this has been such a treat I've loved talking books with you uh, I don't oh, have a lot of great. people I can talk to about books in my <laughs> everyday life so I really I apologize it. Jenny <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean I wasn't trying to single you out Stacy but yeah um Stacy St- I'm trying to get Stacy on this book train and, and her kids are like avid readers and it's amazing to see so um we're, we're working on getting all of our kids well, to be like reading kids you know it's interesting. It's, it's a good challenge. And, and if I could just encourage anybody who's listening, even if you're not sort of using a living book type of thing, keep them in mind for when life gets crazy. I mean, this last 12 months has been pretty chaotic all around the world. And I know for me, there's been some days where it's just difficult to get out of bed and, and have the motivation to start school. But just curling up in bed, reading a good quality book with your kids, you can hit so many educational outcomes and not feel so down on yourself when you're struggling to get all the rest done and know that you're creating a great memory and still teaching your kids at the same time without having to go to too much mental effort. So just just keep them up your sleeve for those emergency situations. Perfect. Well, that is great advice. We couldn't have said it better. Well, thank you very much, Anthony. We've really appreciated talking to you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. interview was a blast to record and I know if you can't tell I can tell you Jenny had so much fun I love talking shop with people and by shop I mean books so um just the fact that he like understood some of my references there and was like right on the same page with me and like he knew all the Ambleside online books as well obviously because that's like his living these days is just being immersed in Ambleside online that was just that was so much fun for me so I'm I'm so appreciative of Anthony for taking the time to talk to us because that was just at the very least it was just a great conversation and now we have a new friend in Australia yes I kind of felt like an Ambleside online like third wheel I was you know I'm just like that tricycle wheel on the you know on the back, just kind of hanging out because I mean, I know whatever I, I do about Charlotte Mason and Ambleside Online from you. So I've heard of some of these things, but I've never like experienced them. So it was really cool to like hear like somebody recognize names of authors that you you say. And I'm like, oh, wow, other people know this stuff, too. It's not just Jenny. <laughs> it's, you're probably like, oh, Jenny, she's making up these titles or like, oh, these are books that maybe <laughs> five people have read. And, and now it's like I'm finally validated in your mind. So you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Um, like I said, it was a blast to record, and we just loved speaking with Anthony at Living Book Press. So go ahead and check out Living Book Press. Uh, his stuff is amazing and beautiful, and he puts so much of his heart into it. So definitely check that out if you are looking for some good living books.
And just a reminder, don't forget to check out our 10% off coupon code that Anthony with Living Book Press has been generous to give us through the end of September of 2021. You can check it out by clicking the link in the show notes and then entering coupon code KL4L. That's KL, the number four, L. And the only exclusion on there is that it excludes any previously discounted bundles. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it so much. And if you have any questions or just want to reach out to us, you can email us anytime at kidslearningforlife at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Kids Learning for Life. And I want to make sure I mention that we are on YouTube as well. And we also post these podcast episodes on YouTube. So if you like listening to podcasts that way, we are Kids Learning for Life on YouTube. See you next time. <laughs> I, I don't know. Did I need to say more no, than that? No, that was great.